You ever heard the phrase, the more things change, the more things stay the same? And while we love the excitement of new things, it's also nice to have the reliability of something constant. Hey, it's Wilmer Valderrama, and when it comes to insurance, State Farm is a good neighbor you can count on. Solo llama a tu agente. Another way State Farm helps is by supporting the creators and storytellers of the Michael Tudor Podcast Network family. Con la ayuda de State Farm, estamos ayudando y asegurándonos de que nuestras voces sean escuchadas. Como un buen vecino, State Farm está ahí. Aprende más en es.statefarm.com. If you're anything like me, you're booked and busy. From family duties and work responsibilities to catching up on your favorite shows and podcasts. Yes, like Wrestling with Freddy, with me, Freddy Prinze Jr. With all the responsibilities we have, it's always nice to have someone in your corner. That's why State Farm is there for you with your auto and home insurance needs, helping you protect the things you love and helping you save money. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. State Farm, proud sponsor of the Michael Tura Podcast Network. This is an official download from thecustardtv.com. It's the Custard TV Podcast. Luke here, editor and runner of the website, thecustardtv.com. Our next podcast with Matt and I will be our best of 2020. 2020 has been an awful year for so many reasons, but funnily enough, a fantastic year for television. Um, And this year, I spoke with Jackson from the YouTube channel Skip Intro. He's an American from Boston, Massachusetts. I don't get to say Massachusetts very often on the podcast, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. I'm probably putting too much emphasis on the Chutsits, possibly. Um, and I, I wanted to get his input on his favourite shows of the year because um, he is someone like myself that really analyses TV. That's what his YouTube channel, Skip Intro, is all about. You can find him on there. And, and he's someone that really delves into it the similar way of Matt and I. Uh, but he has uh, different shows that he's really loved this year. And I had planned to just place this in our Best of the Year 2020 podcast. But I think it was a concise, fun, interesting conversation that deserves its own little bonus podcast. So before we put ours out, here is Jackson's Best of 2020. <laughs> part of the podcast where we traditionally speak to Jackson from Skip Intro. I'm saying traditionally because if I'm hoping I say it, it's on the record and then every year we have to do this. <laughs> that's how that works. Yeah, that. I mean, I'm happy to do that. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, hi, everybody. Hi. It's just me, but there will be people on the day it goes out. There will be more people listening. That's all I hope for. Otherwise, it's quite a lonely endeavour. <laughs> we were saying earlier on that 2020 has delivered some of the most powerful, thought-provoking, entertaining shows that will make this year special for TV. But I was wondering for you, is it that the TV of 2020 was as amazing as we think? Or is it that we had a different space in which to ingest it because we're not running here, there and everywhere and we could just relax into TV as an escape? Or do you think 2020 had some... Of the best TV we've had for a while. 
I think that it's impossible to totally separate the environment that we watched TV in from the TV that we watched. I think that that's something that criticism often kind of overlooks is that you can't really ever separate the mindset that you're in when you watch something from what you're watching. You know, you might watch it again later and maybe we look back five years from now and we're like, wow, that was a fine year of TV. But I think that it was really good. But I also know, I also recognize that like my relationship with TV was different this year than maybe any other year. So I think it's impossible to really separate the two. I ranked all of the shows that I watched this year. The weird thing is, when I came to do mine, it's almost as if nothing happened pre-lockdown, and that isn't the case. There was things on prior to us all being in quarantine in March. Right. The things that I enjoyed as well, but nothing stuck with me, and they almost feel like a relic from another time, and everything from lockdown on is what I count as TV in 2020, which is weird. That is interesting. I mean, it was most of the year was in lockdown, so that definitely uh, <laughs> <laughs> that definitely is. Most of the shows are, are from that time period. There are definitely shows that are higher maybe on this list because they just hit different under lockdown. But I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to separate those things, so I've kind of just decided yeah. to not even bother and to just kind of acknowledge like, we, like we've done uh, that it had an impact. And maybe we'll have a better sense of how much that impact was uh, in the future. You're going to give me a five, are you? A rundown of five to one. If that's what you want, I am at your, I am at your uh, mercy, well, I guess. Why don't we do some honorable mentions? Because you said you had 11 or 12. What are the honorable mentions that didn't quite make uh, up like from 10 to 6 or 11 to 6 or whatever? Sure. What are the honorable mentions there? I knew I was going to be on this podcast, so I started... I have a list throughout the year running of every single TV show that I've watched that aired in 2020 for just such an occasion. And I started trying to rank my top five, and I ended up just ranking all all of the shows that I watched. Um, it's as if you had more time this year to do such a thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's weird. Uh, <laughs> so I have that entire full list available on my Patreon. Uh, that's a shameless plug. So you sneak that in, I didn't say anything. Uh, in under the radar like that uh, subconsciously people will have heard that and it will have gone in but i think that actually i want to name my top six shows i feel like the top six were separated from the rest of the pack a little bit i i feel like technically what i asked for but if you're gonna take over that's what i'm gonna do okay yeah let's start number six then all right number six is mrs america which was on fx fx on hulu it was you can only watch it through hulu but they called it fx so you know take that as you will at least in the states i'm not sure how it was aired yeah it aired on the bbc here because they have a weird deal with fx which means everything that's under that umbrella ends up on the bbc so right i am not against women I am not against women working outside the home. But what I am against is the women's liberation movement. 
Who the hell is Phyllis Shafflin? We need to get the word out quickly. We want the right to be a mother, the right to be a wife. The Libbers want to create a sex-neutral feminist totalitarian nightmare. Do you know what you're saying has no basis in fact? Our movement is about fighting the oppression of all women. We do not want housewives thinking that we are against them. We are against them. Revolutions are messy. How much time do we give people to adapt to change? Or am I the only one who's so fucking tired of waiting? Mrs. America was a limited series about the Equal Rights Amendment to the Constitution, or the, the failed passing of the Equal Rights Amendment in the United States, which basically would have said that regardless of your sex, you have to be treated equally under the law. And uh, that weirdly did not pass in the United States, uh, that never got ratified. And the show kind of explores how that movement happened. It's kind of the beginning of the neoliberal age that we live in in the United States that started with Reagan and Bush and Clinton and Bush and so on and so forth. And I just think that it was a really interesting way of framing the culture that we're in now, because while a lot of shows and a lot of the pop culture is very liberal. It's important to remember, and I think that the feminist movement kind of won the culture war. I think it's important to realize that they kind of lost the actual political war and to kind of reckon with what that means and a lot of a lot of uh, fallout from that that has shaped our world today. How did you find the fact that it put the spotlight on a character each week? Because some of them I was really fascinated with, particularly the character whose name annoyingly escapes me, played by Uzo Aduba. Surely. Surely, yes. I would have watched a whole season of TV just on that character who I had no knowledge of. I went to high school in America. I never heard about this pioneering black woman who ran for for president and things. And I was slightly frustrated that you got increments of time with them, but not equal time with them. Did that distract you at all? First of all, I do think that the episode about Shirley Chrisom, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, it's it might been a- be Chisholm. Yes, think I think you're Chisholm. right. I think you're right. I think that is the best episode of this of the series. It was the third episode, if I remember yeah. correctly. The ability to kind of zoom into different characters and their perspectives is one of my favorite things about television. And the ability to kind of see one uh, story from a multitude of angles. I think that Mrs. America got some well-deserved criticism for the voices it chose to elevate surely being the only you know person of color despite that being a giant part mm. of that movement huge part and like you said is often underrepresented this was the first time i had ever heard of that person That's in history crazy as well. though isn't it that it's not it's quite current history absolutely and, and neither of us have heard of it it's remarkable absolutely and um i think that you know, a lot of people pointed to the centering of Kate Blanchett's character. You know, that's real. All of these people were real people, and she's definitely has like a lot of racist policies, mm. and she did a lot of like courting of you know the racist South during that time period, uh, and was totally fine with it. Her being the main character definitely complicates that, but I think that that's something that we're constantly reckoning with on television with the whole difficult man archetype. It seems to be something that we are more critical of when it's women, but I don't think that it's wrong to point that out. I'm just, uh, I enjoyed the multiple perspectives to answer your original question, 
but I can definitely see how that that could distract. I think that for something so wide ranging, it's kind of limiting to just put yourself in one perspective. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciated that they took this kind of multiple viewpoint angle to it. That's true, actually, and it did make it did do its job because I used a thing we have in England called the internet, and I went on there <laughs> and. Uh, I used it to find out more about the characters in Mrs. America. So, you know, yeah, and I did that as well. Were. And I think, I think that's a real good outcome from the yeah. show. So number five, then if Mrs. America was six, what is number five? Number five is the queen's gambit on Netflix. Tell the readers of life, how it feels and to be a girl among all those men. I don't mind it. Chess isn't always competitive. Chess can also be beautiful. You're an orphan, Beth. I'm fine being alone. I feel safe in an entire world of just 64 squares. Our creativity and psychosis often go hand in hand. Or for that matter. Genius and madness. So you have to explain this one to me. So it's something I could admire from afar, but I don't understand how it's become such a phenomenon. So can you explain to me, from your point of view, someone who put this at number five on the list, why is it elevated in such a degree in a year of great drama? What is it about the Queen's Gambit? Personally, I just found it a an above-standard period piece, and yet everyone else around me is saying it's one of the best things of the year and one of the best things for a number of years. So I'll let you have the floor and tell me why I'm wrong. Yeah, no pressure, right? So um, it's easy to say kind of Anya Taylor-Joy has a remarkable performance or it's visually stunning with all the costumes and it's very of a piece. But I think that one of the things that really stood out to me was its ability to create drama into mind drama from something that most of its audience does not understand. Chess is a really complicated game, and I think most people who are watching The Queen's Gambit on Netflix. We started our company, Girls Who Do Interiors, before we even graduated design school. And we turned to Chase for Business to build along with us. They had everything from banking to payment acceptance to credit cards all in one place. And with the Chase mobile app, our business is wherever we are. It's made for business owners who build to inspire. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Real customers compensated. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, NM member FDIC. Netflix, judging by the incredible uptick in chess content around YouTube and everywhere else, do not understand anything about chess either. But that being said, you watch the show and you can follow every single emotional beat. I saw this commentary on TikTok, and I'm sorry that I can't credit the person because I don't know who it was off the top of my head. But they basically said that it was just a live action anime. And I kind of think that's correct. We don't really understand the ins and outs of all of these battles that are going on. But the point is the emotional stakes of each battle. We know what each character is bringing to this like showdown. And we see it play out. And we see the emotional beats of each one of these uh, battles play out. It's not active in like a fighting sense, but it is a battle and they make it very visually interesting. I don't know. I really, really appreciated the way that they were able to tell these dramatic stories in a way that was 
engaging to an audience that didn't need to know anything about chess. And I do agree, it's visually very interesting, the chessboard on the roof or the ceiling of the orphanage that she drifts off to. You know, nobody checked why that old man was in the basement, though. I mean, that should perhaps be investigated in the sequel. He was the janitor. But what, it was the base. why was he not around cleaning parts of the school or the orphanage that needed, you know? I think we can agree that that orphanage was not well run. You know, I think that they were kind of asleep at the wheel. You said that like you know that most orphanages are well run and this was just a <laughs> bad a bad case. <laughs> I think we can agree this was poorly run, but it's a bottom tar, tier orphanage, yeah, you know. Let's not tar every orphanage with the same brush as the one in the Queen's Gambit. That's, <laughs> That's number five. What's number four on your list? Uh, number four is normal people. You know when we were together in first year of college? That was kind of a perfect time in my life, to be honest. It'd be awkward if something happened with us. No one would have to know. I didn't know your mum worked in the Sheridan's house. What's Marianne like in her natural habitat? I don't know. I don't see much of her. We hook up. Secretly. <laughs> like some kind of game. That's actually really hard. We don't want people going around town saying that knacker is dating my sister. It's not what I want anymore. I feel nothing for you. Nothing. Why are you saying this? Her new boyfriend is more in line with her social class. Are you dating anyone problematic at the moment? I haven't had a midnight call from you in a while. So corrupt and sexy. Would you say your feelings are involved? Obviously. Who is it obvious to? Which was and on. Who introduced you to normal people? You know, I can't remember. Might have been it. Might have been you. Well, definitely was me because I had a I had a response of what the hell is that? <laughs> and then I, I saw the last time I was on this podcast. Actually, yes, or... it was it was a completely foreign viewing. You know, it wasn't set in the U.S. like Queen's Gambit and uh, Mrs. And America. Mrs. America was. So I can understand you checking out episode one out of curiosity when somebody you respect recommends it. What kept you going from there? How did you experience it? How did you, did you watch it all in one go? How did you do it? So I watched it in two sittings. So I watched the first half of the, of the season on one day and I watched the second half of this, of the series the next day. This is, I think the number one show to address what we were talking about earlier, which is it is impossible for me to separate where I was emotionally at the beginning of lockdown with the content. I think that this show does an amazing job of visually and just emotionally guiding us through these complex feelings of loneliness and isolation and intimacy and what it means to connect with another person. I think that it does all of those things amazingly. And I also can't ignore the fact that I was super receptive to the idea of intimacy at a point Mm. when I was totally Mm. isolated. 
I just don't think that those are things that you can separate, and I don't think they should be separated. I think it's definitely like an awesome idea and something that is present in a lot of media, but I think they did an extraordinary job exploring it in a, in a really nuanced and delicate way. Just aesthetically, it really it was really my vibe. It was cloudy weather. They were like sipping coffee. There were sweaters. You know, there was a Carly Rae Jepsen needle drop. I, it was it was all my favorite things, really. There was the intimacy, but it, like you say, the delicateness it was taken. And those two characters, those two performances, Daisy Edgar Jones, Paul Mescal, they could just look at each other, and you could spend. You at this point, you might have spent minutes in their company. But you knew exactly and your heart was breaking for them at certain points. And there wasn't a lot of expositional dialogue. The characters were quite frustrating, but you never found them frustrating in any way at all. Yeah. I just think it was a masterpiece because it was not the Queen's Gambit. It was was very much stripped back, very insular and very, very in their minds and in their lives. And we were just like flies on the wall. I think you make a really good point to compare or to contrast these two shows. Um, even though they are very introspective, The Queen's Gambit and Normal People. But like you said, Normal People is very stripped of exposition. You don't always know where these characters are in their lives. You're just tracking this relationship between them as it changes over time. We don't need to know, like, how school is going necessarily for them as long as it relates to we only need to know how it relates to each other and and Mm. to themselves we don't need to know the ins and outs of how writing this paper is going or or whatever else it's all just these emotional beats there's no big bad there's no battles scenes the way i was talking about it uh in an anime sense it's all just very delicate it's all just very very emotional and very personal and it just, it felt the most authentic love story as well. At points, I felt like I was intruding on these people's lives by watching. I loved going with them to Italy because I've not been out of the country this year. <laughs> it was just, it was just as if it was perfectly timed and dropped at the right period of our lives, really. Absolutely. Okay, so normal people, bit disappointed that the show I recommended isn't your number one show, but I'll try harder <laughs> next year. I mean, if I'm talking about how much it personally resonated with me, there aren't really many shows, maybe like one or two shows that were higher than this. Yeah, other, did you get the feeling in the States that other people were discovering it and loving it, or did it feel like a TV critic thing where we love it because we like this sort of television? There were definitely people who were watching it, I have to say that I tried to kind of stay away from the narrative about it, especially a show like this that is so intimate and personal. You you noted that it feels like you're intruding on them, and maybe in a bit of a selfish way, I kind of didn't want to share that personal, like, intimate experience with other people, necessarily. You know, that's a weird place to be in as a critic. Mm. Obviously, I made a video about it, but I kind of tried to take the least personal tack I could to talking about it uh, in my video, which was to talk about the cinematography. No, but it's important. That all plays a role in what makes that show so special and, and, and brings the intimacy to the screen. What's just ahead of normal people in your estimation? 
What's just ahead of normal people is I May Destroy You, which was on HBO and I assume Sky Atlantic for you guys. Yeah, it was on the BBC for us. Oh, it was on BBC for well you guys. Well done for us. You made the correct assumption, but it was a BBC HBO <laughs> production. So you you just need to do a tiny bit more research if you uh, can. <laughs> hey, I do research for American audiences, okay? So <laughs> I got my American okay. distributors correct, yeah. so. It was actually a co-production, yeah, between the BBC and HBO. It, it was totally going to go on Netflix, and she said, no, I want complete control, and I can get that by working with HBO and the BBC. How'd you smash your phone? I don't know. How did last night end? Listen to her talk. Make her feel good. Better talk, money talk, girls talk, TikTok, girl, Surround yourself with people who affirm you. Are you gonna miss me? Don't like this sort of conversation. Are we boyfriend and girlfriend? Could you say yes? It wouldn't be a conversation. Is there a reason why you haven't told him about the assault? He's an Italian drug lord. If someone put I May Destroy You as their number one show of the year, I definitely wouldn't really quibble with it. The only reason it is at number three here and not higher is that I had a hard time personally connecting with it as, you know, I was not the main character. I would, and that's totally fine. I've not been a victim of, of sexual abuse. And it was important for, uh, and I think very interesting and useful to experience that through someone else's eyes, but it was also very difficult. And it was supposed to be difficult. I think there are like four sexual assaults in the first three episodes or something. Yeah. And yeah. I had a really hard time watching that. And I understand that that is supposed to be difficult to watch. And maybe that's my privilege speaking that I've not had to deal with that so that I can say, oh, yeah, that was hard for me personally to watch. But I also can't ignore that that was like a barrier to entry. <laughs> I think it's an incredible achievement to get this to the screen it is difficult to watch but for all the right reasons rather than something that is difficult to watch because it's badly written or anything what i admired most and what kept me watching i may destroy you is that i could never guess where it was going to go what do you, what the point of the journey was and with each episode i kept watching going i have no idea what this story is i no no idea what avenue we're going to go down it literally felt like it could take me anywhere it was a very messy show in all of the best ways. I thought that it really imitated the way life is. And there's no overarching narrative to life. Something happens to you or happens in your life and you just have to deal with it. There's no roadmap to recovery. There's no roadmap to coping. There's nothing like that. And you just kind of have to go through your life and, and deal with it. And I thought that, that she really captured that. It could have easily fallen apart because that is such a high concept idea. That is such a difficult concept to pull off. But it had such a cohesive vision. It was an idea that she explored through these three different characters in different ways. And I mean, I was wowed by it. Absolutely. Um, there's also that argument we you know we said. Paul Mescal and Daisy Edgar-Jones were so likeable and you rooted for them. And in lots of ways... 
Well, well, well. Shopping for a car? Yep. Carvana made financing a car as smooth as can be. Oh, yeah? I got pre-qualified instantly and had real terms personalized just for me. Hmm. Doesn't get much smoother than that. Well, I got to browse thousands of car options on Carvana, all within my budget. Doesn't get much smoother than that. It does. I actually wanted a car that seemed out of my range, but I was able to add a cosigner and found my dream car. It doesn't get much... Oh, it gets smoother. It's getting delivered tomorrow. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get pre-qualified today. Discover, this is Daniela. Hi, it's Jennifer Coolidge. I just want to thank you for making me feel so special. I earned cash back on debit for my dinner party groceries. That's great. But with Discover Cashback Debit, we give everyone cash back on everyday purchases. Anything else I can help you with? Do you like asparagus and mushroom sorbet? I've got leftovers. Introducing Discover Cashback Debit, a checking account with cash back. It pays to Discover. Eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Arabella here was not a likable person. Agreed. Angelico was happy to make her this flawed human being, but we were still happy to go along on the journey with her and experience this awful trauma that she'd gone through. My favourite episode, personally, was when it, it took them back to school. Mm. And they weren't... I thought that was a really strong episode as well. But it just reminded me of of the sort of swings and shifts that something like Atlanta would make, where you just had no idea what each episode was going to be. And that episode that took them back to school and explained the friendship dynamic and how long they've been friends for and, and how they're diverging was really clever. And it, although it wasn't, it wasn't my favourite show of the year because I've gravitated towards things specifically this year that have been fun to watch. And I sure. would say this was fun to watch. <laughs> I but would I agree. really admire it as a piece of television and... For somebody to have gone through that and put it out on screen, the bravery of telling that story is just admirable in every sense. So, yeah, that is a worthy number three. If I could just say one more thing about it, it's just a huge swing. Like you said, it is a difficult watch in all the right ways. It is such a nuanced and difficult story to tell, and it is totally pulled off. And I think that, again, it's important to recognize that we watch these things in quarantine. And maybe if I didn't and I wasn't looking for something that I thought was fun to watch, it would have been number one. But maybe I just was looking for something more personally for me enjoyable, I guess. And then there's also the argument here that this wasn't bingeable. You know, it wasn't. you had to wait a week for each episode. You could digest it. You could breathe it in. I know you did normal people in two settings you could not have watched this in two settings you need to digest the awfulness that you were seeing yes what is your penultimate pick of the year my number two show of the year is bojack horseman from netflix when was this on this year so the the second half of its last season its conclusion came out in january of this year it counts it just doesn't feel like the same period of time at all no 12 months down the line but just in terms of what was going on in my life in January when BoJack was on, I can't even connect it to the life I'm living now. You know, absolutely. It's absolutely wild to think that this show and Normal People and Queen's Gambit all happened in the same year, considering how wildly different uh, times they came out during. I've made a lot of mistakes, but I look back at that other BoJack and I think, Who is that? I've had a lot of what I thought were rock bottoms only to discover another rockier bottom underneath. I used to feel like my whole life was an acting job. 
doing an impression of the people I saw on television, which was just the projection of a bunch of equally screwed up writers and actors. I felt like a Xerox of a Xerox of a person. But not anymore? Bojack is my number two because um, I have a I have a really personal connection with this show, and I've, I've blogged about it on my blog before, so I won't rehash it. It's kind of heavy, I guess. But I thought that this season did all of the things that BoJack is amazing at. Uh, I don't know if any show has ever hit me at the same emotional notes that this show hit. It dealt with the consequences of your actions, but more almost more importantly, what happens after the consequences. Mm. I think so often we, we think of a reckoning as the end of the story. You know, someone gets their, their just desserts or they get what they deserve or whatever else, and then the story ends. One of the things I've always loved about TV is that by definition, TV kind of doesn't ever have to end. So you can always explore what happens after that in the same way that life happens. Especially, you know that's the same reason we've got a new Saved by the Bell and Peacock, though. <laughs> TV should end. Right. Uh, I guess I mean more in a general... To me, TV always asks the question, okay, but then what? Yeah. And uh, as a movie is very much... They can do sequels and things, but right. they feel very closed in by their time scale and you don't get to spend as much time with the characters and, and the arcs and things. So TV has that that gift of going on, I hate using the phrase journey again and again, but going on this this adventure with these characters and knowing them inside and out for years and years. Absolutely. You know, concluding that journey and then also seeing kind of an epilogue to that story. And again, doing the thing that, we lo- that I loved about Mrs. America where you kind of see the same journey through a number of different people's eyes we see a number of different people's journeys yeah i think that this show was an absolute masterpiece i think it's the best show netflix has ever produced and um yeah it was my number two show of the year (laughs) number two show now obviously we were going to talk about your number one but then when you told me it was netflix's the floor is lava (laughs) i think we're going to struggle to have a coherent conversation about it so thank it, you it's actually too on. hot to handle on that <laughs> that was actually i knew it was a hot show i didn't know it was yeah, yeah, yeah. Or too, too hot to handle. i knew it was one of those <laughs> so thank you for coming on <laughs> <laughs> i'm assuming i'm making a big leap and putting myself out there and assuming we're talking about the um penultimate season of better call Saul. we are talking about show. the we are talking about better salt. I would have looked foolish, and that would have been tricky to edit around if you'd just gone, no, it's HBO's yeah, it didn't the flight attendant. Didn't it? Or, yeah. Or Hulu's Little Fires Everywhere. I would have gone, oh, okay. But um, <laughs> just before we talk about Better Call Saul, has there been a show this year that you've actually seen, because of the world we're living in, you've seen it for the first time, like an old classic show? I did ER for some reason over quarantine and just fell in love with it. And for some reason, that was my happy place. A sure. hospital during a quarantine. I don't quite sure. know why. You know, that's have interesting. You, that's a have choice. You done, have you done one? A classic oh. show that you've never had the chance to do? Yeah, so that's uh, that's actually a great lead-in. I watched the entirety of FX's The Shield. Oh, this. it's a masterpiece. 
it is a masterpiece. It is also incredibly interesting to watch in the current political climate of the United States with all of the police brutality protests that have been going on, which is why I chose to watch it. I, I don't, yeah, I don't, I could talk about The Shield for literally days. I'm making a video on it right now and I keep adding to it. It's already like a 40 minute video. So, um, uh, I have a lot to say about The Shield. I don't know how much you want to go into it. Uh, I just, well, I just wondered, you gravitated towards that because of the political landscape we're in. And I suppose you're going to cover this in your upcoming video, but I just wondered as a bit of a tiny exclusive how you were able to separate that and watch this as a drama and where it falls in the pantheon of great TV that you've now crossed it off your list. I mean, I think I, I'll start by saying I loved it. I thought it was incredibly interesting. Sometimes I think it's incredibly interesting, not for the reasons that they necessarily intended. One of the things I love about watching old TV shows is that they end up being snapshots of history, and you also get to see how history has changed over the course of the TV show. I think about Cheers when I say that. Like, you watch the early episodes of Cheers, and you can see the kinds of things that were kind of PC to laugh about that absolutely are not PC to laugh about by the end of the, the series. I, I'm thinking about, like, certain gay jokes and certain jokes about race and things like that. And... Um, the shield is is no different there are certainly things that you know that they they are more comfortable with tackling at different points in the series and to see where america was at the beginning of 2002 when the show first premiered and where it was by the end 2008 is obviously a very different world i think that there are some shows that are really easy to compare it to uh, the three shows that I think come to mind immediately are The Sopranos, Breaking Bad, and The Wire, because they are all somewhat contemporary. The Sopranos and Breaking Bad both are difficult men shows in the same way as The Shield, and The Wire is a cop show in the way that The Shield is. You know, if you're asking me to kind of rank those shows, I think that The Shield is a lot closer to Breaking Bad than a lot of people would say, but I'm a little lower on Breaking Bad than some other people. I, I think that the end of The Shield is really poignant and interesting and does a really good job of exploring that kind of reckoning and downfall in a way that I think Breaking Bad almost did and then kind of shied away from. Let's go on to Better Call Saul. <laughs> yeah, sure. I can't go back to being Jimmy McGill. That name is burned. This is a fresh start. This is how I move forward and I like it. We all make our choices and those choices they put us on a road. Sometimes those choices seem small, but they put you on the road. You think about getting off, but eventually you're back on it. What have I gotten myself involved with here? You don't want to know. When you're in, you're in. Yeah, we got a legal problem. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Just for a minute there, I thought I was going to be Swallowing condoms filled with heroin. <laughs> <laughs> no, maybe later. I think that in a lot of other years, BoJack would have been my number one show of the year, but I think Better Call Saul was just, I think it was just unbelievable. Every year I make a list of my five favorite episodes of TV from the year. I call them circled episodes because I used to keep them in a notebook and I'd circle them when I really, when I thought they might be a contender. And the 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth, and 10th episodes of Better Call Saul this year were all circled. 
it was just like absolute masterpiece after absolute masterpiece. I don't know what what to say about it that I haven't already said, but the show is in this interesting position where you know things are going to end poorly. Uh, You know exactly how they're going to end for a number of the main characters. Mm. And it creates this sense of dread over the entire show. You're still like not sure when the shoe's going to drop, but you know it's going to drop. And And you know it's going to be painful as well. It's going to be incredibly painful. And you know that there's going to be some like absolute actual reckoning and it's going to suck. There's no, there's no doubt about it. And every time there's one step on that road, on that bad choice road to the end, it, it is uh, excruciating, but also, you know, tragic in all, in all the best ways. I wrote a piece recently that the BBC are doing a weird thing where everything that airs on normal TV goes up on the iPlayer, which is their streaming service, as uh, a box set, if you like. So, for example, normal people was airing Monday night at nine, but if you wanted to, you could go on and watch the whole thing at your leisure. And my argument is they shouldn't do that because TV's <laughs> job is to, to have that conversation week on week. And yeah. better call Saul, don't get me wrong, if I could have gorged on that all, I would have raced through it but I wouldn't have had the same experience at the end of it. Absolutely. And the same week, week on week to pick apart these choices, just the the camera choices, the cold open choices, the quick pans, the, the bad choices that Saul was making, the lines of dialogue that Kim was saying that was so important that you could break down. And the Better Call Saul and Succession, I think, but Better Call Saul mostly is the best example of that week's wait between shows that you need and i'm so glad it's still on amc and i'm so glad we get that time to digest what is a perfectly crafted hour of any television you could ever think of it's perfect absolutely i think um i i mean i've railed against the the binge model before in various spaces but um i totally agree i think that one of the great things about television is the time that you have to sit with it between episodes or between seasons, just the time that it sits with you over years of your life. This journey of Better Call Saul is five years in the making and even more if you want to include Breaking Bad. I think we first met this character in like 2010. Here we are 10 years later and he continues to get more and more fleshed out with every episode. There's so many nuances and, you know, Bob Odenkirk is doing this wonderful performance showing just every nuance of 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 his like mask cracking no you don't because he's so good at it you don't realize he's working so hard he's playing essentially two characters the audience knows that and so he's sort of working as Saul but we know the pain he's feeling as Jimmy but there's these characters know and these characters don't know and it I don't know how he gets in that space. The other thing that's remarkable uh, remarkable about this season of Better Call Saul is I've loved the show. I've talked to other people about the show. I do have people outside of Jackson, but we don't need to talk about them. <laughs> but it's extraordinary to me that this season feels like such a jump up in quality. On previous years, it would be something I admire, something I enjoy, something I stick on to go back into the Breaking Bad universe. 
This season, it was, my God, this show is special. This show is doing things I didn't think it would be capable of. It's making me question, is it a better show than the show I love that it came from? Yeah, I think that I think one of the things that obviously sets this season apart, this thing that has made it that way, is the total collision of the two shows that it has been. For the first four seasons of this show, there was, you know, the Mike Ehrmantraut show that had to do with the cartel, and there was the Jimmy show, which had to do with yeah. him becoming a lawyer. And, and they didn't always gel, if we're being honest, they didn't always gel. No, no, I think that they only really, I think that there were just huge, large swaths of, of time that they never even touched each other. There was no, no overlap whatsoever. This season has seen a total collision. We've seen Kim enter into kind of the crosshairs in more than one way. And I think that that has obviously raised the stakes and has elevated the entire show. So everything that they had built over those first four years are, is finally paying off in spectacular fashion. I'm not sure that this season would have been as much of a masterpiece if we hadn't put in those four years beforehand yeah. of building those two separate those two, three separate stories and now combining them. I think what we're seeing now is kind of the culmination of the entire series. And uh, once once you can get to that point, I think that that's obviously very rewarding for viewers. Something like Bagman, you could watch that outside of Better Call Saul and just go, wow, this is stunning to look at. I completely get the perilous situation they're in and I am hooked even though I am basically following these two men through the desert. I was sweating by the end of that episode. And the finale was... It really makes me question, is it now better or on a... For you, is it... You said you're not as keen on Breaking Bad as others, and, you know, I don't want to have to tell you, but you're wrong. But anyway, <laughs> is it better in your eyes? Is it on a par? I think I mean, we've had this discussion before, but I want to know now, sure. having digested it a bit more, how you feel. Sure. I think that the first thing to say is that obviously Better Call Saul would not exist without Breaking Bad in any way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. Obviously, these characters would not exist if it wasn't for them existing in the better or the Breaking Bad universe first. And all of that stuff that we just talked about, the four seasons of setup that, that are kind of now paying off. Which a lot of people won't have time for, you know, because there's right. nothing worse than somebody saying, this show gets really good. You just have to yeah, wait four and seasons. I think, and I think that the show gets really good in its second season, but I, I do think I that, too. you know, the patience that we afforded the show throughout its first season, throughout however long it took until you thought it got good, you don't give it that kind of patience if it doesn't have that Breaking Bad moniker on it. So I just want to acknowledge all of that stuff first. And if you think that that's enough to say that there's no way that it could be better than Breaking Bad, then, you know, that's the end of the conversation. I but know. I think it's definitely on a par. If it's not better, it's definitely equal sure. pegging. I, for yeah, me. when I say you, I mean just a general, a general, oh. if, if someone. Oh, I was thinking you were talking directly to me as two <laughs> people on a podcast. What a okay. fool. All right. You know, you're, you're making some good points. And, Happy uh, Christmas. <laughs> I, I think Better Call Saul is better than okay. Breaking Bad at this point. I think that part of that has to do with its bench of actors is deeper. There's no Aaron Paul playing Jesse, but I think Ray Seahorn is She's a We don't need to talk about how good she is because um, she's 
knocks yeah. it out of the park every she's i mean i think that kim wexler was the best character i saw on television this year um with you know honorable mentions to all all the characters that we've talked about so far mm. on this podcast she's the one i'm worried about the most she's definitely the one that i'm most emotionally invested in um part of that is because all of the other shows that we we've talked about so far that were in my top six are all finished you know they were all limited series mm. so obviously there is still a future for for kim who knows how long that future is which is terrifying but you know that that is part of the equation you know you still have uh gus you still have mike you still have bob odenkirk as as mm. jimmy saul but you also have ray seahorn you also have michael mando as nacho you also have lalo salamanca and i think that these characters are all phenomenal performances and way more interesting than the bench of characters that we got in Breaking Bad. I feel like in some ways Breaking Bad was more narrow. And I think that the characters that they're willing to investigate in Better Call Saul, you know, there's a wider range of them. I think that that's part of the equation. And I think the other part of the equation is we know where this is going and that gives the stakes even more weight i think i think it raises the stakes for I think characters it, that we do care about what we've said before and apologies for people who listen religiously to the podcast but we said it before that what this feels like unlike any other show possibly ever is that it feels like they sat down on day one of season episode one season one with a arc to do and it feels like everything just slots into place and it's been planned out from the beginning, and now we are on the end game. And I just can sit back and enjoy the ride because I know the people behind it and the people in front and behind the camera are on their A game and they know what story they're telling. And that is so relaxing when so many things, you know, don't stick the landing or fall apart as they get more popular. This feels like it's methodical that they've taken their time, they, they know where they're going, and they're just doing it their own way. And I can't be happier to see where it goes and although i'm gonna find it devastating i'm sure i'm gonna have to watch that for the season again before the next one starts whenever that will be yeah you're gonna have time i wouldn't worry about it yes (laughs) yes stop reminding me how much time i've got well i don't i don't even know when they're thinking about coming out with it they Uh, were already shooting and they got shut down it's annoying so i know um, that they weren't planning on it coming out until like end of 2021 originally okay. um, well, we might get we might still get that timeline then maybe i'm probably planning on not going out until the end of 2021 <laughs> so i'm fine as well you know you mentioned bagman and the final episode of the season and to me the best episode by far of the season was bad choice road which is the mm. penultimate episode i talk about better call Saul with tons of people and a lot of people have pointed i've only got a few people i need to be part of your circle (laughs) but you know a lot of people have said bagman's the best episode and you know this is really splitting hairs and also stylistically it's probably the best episode but also like who really cares um but the (laughs) i have never been more emotionally invested in the the show or the series or maybe even television this year than I was watching that final scene of the of Bad Choice Road where Lalo shows up at their apartment and Kim basically has to lawyer her way out of the situation. And with, with poise and grace and yeah, I think that that is and, and delicacy. She's not a frightened woman at that point. She is 
using oh, can all that tell she that has she's learned. also scared and and that's part of the greatness of Ray Seahorn is that we as an audience can tell that she's scared and that she's pushing it down but she's also performing for Lalo she's not just mm. performing for the audience she's performing for Lalo and for Jimmy honestly um to kind of give him the guise of safety and uh even though I think it's clear in that moment that she does not know how this is going to play out and she's hopeful that, you know, they don't die. But it's who knows? This is a very scary man. This is a very scary situation. Okay. Well, speaking of scary men, where can people find you in 2021 if they need You know, I don't want to be known as a scary man. Uh, <laughs> well, you're not leaving your house. You're fine. That's, that's true. Um, you can find me at Skip Intro on YouTube and uh, Skip Intro YT on Twitter. And, I, you know, I tweet out the things that I write and in the videos and uh, whatever else I do. So he's just uh, a TV obsessive, as all good human beings are. Uh, <laughs> so find him there. Thank you so much, Jackson. I look forward to talking to you in 2021, as is tradition. Yes, yes. On. From now, have on. a great holiday. Whatever. You, what, I mean, what are you doing? I am finishing uh, up my video about the shield. Um, Happy Christmas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, I got to make my list of my five favorite episodes of the year. Uh, oh, so you're going to say your, your Christmas list, but no. No, no. Five favorite episodes. There's no time so, for Christmas in 2020, man. There's, yeah. uh, who's okay. got, who, has the, uh, who has it in them? I don't know. Not me. Well, cash is fine is basically what I'm saying here. I mean, I don't want you to go, you know, standing in dangerous lines at the post office. Just wire me however many dollars you think, you know, sure. I've earned this year. Oh, I will. Don't worry. Yeah. I will wipe you exactly as many as I think you've heard. <laughs> <sighs> it's going to be pennies. Okay. <laughs> Speak to you next year. All right. Talk to you later. Thank you so much to Jackson. Our final podcast of the year will go up just after Christmas. Have a lovely break, whatever you do with it. And enjoy some festive TV, whatever you watch. And we'll be back to celebrate the television of 2020 just after Christmas. Thanks for listening. Rate and review us wherever you find us. Search The Custard TV on YouTube, iTunes and Facebook. Well, well, shopping for a car? Yep, Carvana made financing a car as smooth as can be. Oh yeah? I got pre-qualified instantly and had real terms personalized just for me. Hmm, doesn't get much smoother than that. Well, I got to browse thousands of car options on Carvana, all within my budget. Doesn't get much smoother than that. It does. I actually wanted a car that seemed out of my range, but I was able to add a cosigner and found my dream car. It doesn't get much... Oh, it gets smoother. It's getting delivered tomorrow. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get pre-qualified today.